fruits of the Spirit. We went over the fruits of the Spirit in our lives, and then we are, have been looking at the fact of uh, Jesus, uh, how he has demonstrated them in his life. Can I say today that uh, he, all that's expected of us is perfected in him? And so as we look at his life and able to see and, and copy from that, that'll be a help to us. The fruits of the Spirit are our growth checkup uh, as we get... We started halfway through the year. We're beyond that now. I meant to do our six-month checkup, uh, so it's kind of been extended. But this is a good thing for us to do because it's our growth marks on the, the door of our life, you could say, uh, this, for us to be able to look at some certain things and say, am I growing in these areas? Now, Jesus, uh, we've looked at his gentleness, his love. We've looked at his joy, his long-suffering, and his peace. And today, I want to look at the temperance of Jesus, the temperance of Jesus. The word is enkratia. It is, uh, essentially means self-control, the original word in the Greek there. And the reason that I apply this trait to the story that we're going to read about in our passage today is that Jesus suffered offense really many times throughout his life, and that never uh, made him lose control. He never lost sight of his objective in front of him. And how we uh, act in the face of offense really is going to reveal whether or not we have temperance in our life as well. A traveler was between flights at an airport and she went to the lounge and bought uh, her favorite type of uh, cookies, a pack of, her, uh, of cookies that she liked, and, uh, which is nut or butter, by the way. It is the best, in case you want to know. Um, that's in the Bible. I won't go there this morning, but uh, she sat down and started to read a newspaper. And at, at, just after she started reading, she heard a rustling on the other side of her paper, and she lowers the paper and looks, and a, a well-dressed, nicely-dressed man had sat down right beside her there, and, and uh, he was eating, he had opened her pack of cookies up and was eating a cookie from her pack. She was appalled. How dare he? So just to kind of make a point, she reaches out and grabs one, you know, shows it that uh, that's hers, not his, and she's one. Then he takes another, and she takes another, and soon they are almost to the end of the package, and, and then he did what she just couldn't believe he did this. He took the last cookie, her cookie, took the last one, broke it in half, gave her half, and then he ate the other half. He gets up to leave, and she just, she's, beside, she's mad enough to spit now. She's beside herself, and she just, you certainly have a lot of nerve, she said. And uh, he looked confused, but uh, left, and she was there fuming for about five minutes, and then the flight was announced that she was supposed to get on. She opened her purse to get her tickets, and she found a pack of unopened cookies. She had been eating his all along. How do we respond to offense? Do we get angry or do we have temperance? I want to look at a story today I think will be a blessing to us. Luke chapter 7, looking at verse number 36 to begin with. And one of the Pharisees desired that he would eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. And behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus was at meat, sat at meat at the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment. And she stood at his feet behind him, weeping began to wash his feet with tears and did wipe them with the hairs of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee which had bidden him saw it, he spake within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner a woman this is that toucheth him, for she is a sinner. 
And Jesus answering said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And he saith, Master, say on. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors. One owed him 500 pence and the other 50. And when they had, no and when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him most? Simon answered and said, I suppose to he whom he forgave most. He said unto him, Thou hast rightly judged. And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, Seest thou this woman? I entered into thine house. Thou gavest me no water for my feet, but she hath washed my feet with tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss, but this woman, since the time I came in, hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say unto thee, Her sins which are many are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. Saith unto her, Thy sins are forgiven thee. And they that sat at meat with him began to say within themselves, Who is this that forgiveth sins also? And he said unto the woman, Thy faith has saved thee. Go in peace. We'll preach today on the temperance of Jesus. Father, I pray you'd help us in the next few minutes here together. May we learn something to be, uh, to, to be a personal application for our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. No one gave Christ more opposition than the religious leaders. The common folk certainly did not uh, object much to Jesus. In fact, they flocked to him. That's what happens when you feed people and heal people, amen? Uh, so people flocked to Jesus. And not only that, he did not condemn them, but he loved them. And uh, the objection even that the Romans had against Jesus was mostly incited by the religious leaders. Here we have Simon, a Pharisee, who's invited Jesus over to his home for a meal. Uh, and we don't know why he invited him specifically, because the invitation would be unusual. The Pharisees were enemies of Jesus. They were not in the habit of inviting him over to their house for a meal or for ice cream. They didn't uh, have much to do with him. But twice in Scripture, here and in Luke chapter 11, <coughs> a Pharisee invited Jesus to a meal. Both times the invitations were given to Jesus not really out of respect for him. And certainly Jesus knew here he would be on hostile ground at Simon's house. But he had temperance. The same love that brought him from a high heaven to a hostile world took him to Simon's house even though he knew that he would probably not be in a receptive place. But Jesus held his peace when Simon uh, made no attempt to extend any common courtesies because Jesus had temperance. This invitation, which might have looked like kindness, I believe, was simply a means of this Pharisee to dishonor Christ. How would you like that? Being invited to somebody's home uh, for them to have you over and try to get something on you. That would be a nice time, wouldn't it? Everybody's a little bit on edge. And here we see the temperance of Jesus ready and willing to go where he is invited. Uh, now, there's an intrusion while they're there. And to, to get that correct picture, we kind of have to get the setting in those days. Mealtime in the Bible was different than what we'd have today. Today you'll have somebody over, they come into the house, you know, the doors are shut, the windows are, shades are drawn, and, and uh, it's just you, it's a little more private. There, then in that time, the, the meals would be held, especially in people that were a little bit more well-off like this Pharisee was. Uh, they would have formal dinner parties that would take place in an open courtyard. And uh, there, they would, uh, it would be really like a public event, and people would come by or could come uh, to the edge of the courtyard and observe the dinner party. They were not considered guests, 
nor were they considered intruders. They were self-invited observers. That's basically what they were. And they'd come and see what was going on. <coughs> They're mentioned in verse 49, by the way. As we look on, in on these, this dinner, uh, actually, let's be biblical, this supper, as they look in on this supper, we see a low table, kind of like a U-shaped table, and around this table would be couches where the guests would kind of recline and uh, with their feet facing outward. Now, I've read this for years. I I've tried to figure out how you could comfortably eat laying down on one shoulder. I get cramped, and I can't figure out how this worked. I mean, I've seen pictures of it, but evidently this was the way they did it back then. Uh, the, so uh, thank God for chairs, amen? I'm glad for good chairs that we can sit up and eat like normal people. But uh, a very unexpected thing happens while their meal is beginning. A woman enters, and it's not just any woman. You could tell what type of woman she was by the clothing she wore. The Bible calls this a woman who was a sinner, synonymous here with harlot. This woman was a prostitute. The biggest shock is that she would come to the house of a Pharisee. In ordinary times, Simon and this woman would never meet. She would never have anything to do with a man like him. He certainly would never have anything to do with a woman like her. And so they both meet here. They're kind of thrown together because they have one common goal for perhaps different reasons. They both want to see Jesus. She is instantly the center of attention, as you can imagine, by anybody who's watching from the outside. Whoa, this is unusual. And so now... Every eye is on her. A woman in her line of work would be a very good judge of men. She sees the type that they are, and she's, she's probably seen every type, except this man, Jesus. He's different. She knew that he was not like everybody else. Whoever she made eye contact with usually was with a curled lip or a, or a predatory desire, and, uh, but not this man. Jesus looked at her with acceptance and love. And she heard in his words a promise of an escape from her empty life because that's what life of sin always is, friends. It's empty and in need of Christ. So she makes, as soon as she makes eye contact with him, tears begin to gush from her eyes. I'm going to look here at the temperance, or Jesus' temperance. Simon had neglected all the common courtesies in an eastern home. In fact, the Pharisee was very rude to Jesus if we really break it down, which we will in a minute here. Uh, but this woman did four things for Jesus that the Pharisee should have done but did not. Uh, when this woman came first in here, she begins, first of all, she washed his feet. The Bible says she began to wash his feet with tears. These tears that began to flood from her eyes for the sorrow of her sins, they begin to cascade on the feet of our Savior and with those tears, she washed Jesus' feet, something the Pharisee had not done. Washing a guest's feet was customary in those days. Again, thank God we moved on, amen. Uh, but uh, it was customary in those days when there are uh, people are walking around in, in sandals and the roads are dusty. And so when you had a guest, you would wash their feet and, uh, and so that they, would not, so they would have a, a, wouldn't be all dusty when they entered your home. But this proud Pharisee, would not wash the feet of Jesus. He didn't even have a servant do it. It was an insulting neglect. And Jesus let it go because he had temperance. And it's okay because momentarily somebody else will come in and do the job. This woman washed Jesus' feet with choice water. 
her tears. It was a humbling service, but it honored Jesus Christ. And that's what really mattered. Did he not humble himself, ladies and gentlemen, to provide us salvation? Can we not humble ourselves to provide him service? That's what she did. Secondly, she wiped his feet. The woman honored him even further. The Pharisee, again, had not done so. He had been negligent in his honor for Jesus, and yet Jesus let it go because he had temperance. And it's okay because momentarily somebody else would come in and do the job. Uh, she, the Bible says, did wipe them with the hairs of her head. In using her hair to wipe his feet, she sacrificed her glory to do him honor. Remember what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 15, a woman's hair is her glory. We have no difficulty understanding that fact even today. The appearance of a woman has much to do with her hair. She will put much effort and much uh, expense into finding the right hair stylist. Have you noticed, husbands? And that stylist will charge $863 every time she goes and visits him. And uh, you'd better notice when she does go visit him too, amen, that's a, or her, that's a good thing. But this woman sacrificed her beauty by using her long locks to wipe the feet of Jesus Christ. Can you see how quickly this would make a disgusting mess of her hair? There would be grease and dirt and uh, the tears and all that. <coughs> it was a sacrifice for her to do this, to serve Christ, friend. We ought to be willing to give up our personal glory, our esteem of the world, and our honor to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you really think that God is willing to do a work if you are unwilling? She sacrificed and she wiped his feet with her hair. The third thing she did, she kissed his feet. After washing and wiping them, she was kissing them. This is one of, the only, uh, one of only two times in Scripture that somebody kissed the Lord Jesus Christ. You remember the other time, don't you? Judas Iscariot, when he betrayed him. But these were not kisses of betrayal here. These were kisses that greatly demonstrated her love for Jesus. And Jesus said to Simon in verse 45, Thou gavest me no kiss, but this woman, since the time I came in, hath not ceased to kiss my feet. The Pharisee had not even greeted Jesus in the common courtesy of that culture. Yet Jesus let it go because he had temperance. And it's okay because momentarily someone else will come in and do the job, which the woman did. Love for Christ motivated her service here. Look at, uh, we, we see love as a great motivator for any of our service, 2 Corinthians 5, 14, for the love of Christ constraineth us. That's why we ought to desire to do what we do for him. And number four, the last thing she did, she anointed his feet. The Bible says she anointed them with the ointment. Here, <clears throat> is a great sacrifice. The alabaster box of ointment was not cheap. But more than just the cost of this, there's something else going on here, I believe, that's involved. I was reading about this episode this week in some different commentaries, and I came across one uh, that I thought was very interesting. Uh, this writer was talking about the history of that time, and he said that it was very common for women of her trade for obvious reasons, they would have this expensive perfume. They would have it uh, in, a, in a jar or a box or something around their neck. They would have obviously use it to ply their trade and to appear more sensual and have the, uh, the scent and all that stuff. So uh, this is something that was very common for somebody in her line of work. And so here she is 
hey, this here represents my old life, which I'm not going back to. And so she breaks that open and pours it on Jesus' feet and says, I'm giving all that I have, all that I was. I'm giving it all up, and I want to follow you. That's what she was saying here. When we come to Christ, there's some things we give up, but oh, how great things we gain, friend. Isn't that true? Warren Wiersbe said, self-preservation is the first law of physical life, but self-sacrifice is the first law of spiritual life. Oh, that more of us wouldn't have uh, the attitude of this woman. Most people today want to serve without sacrificing, and ministry that costs nothing, friends, accomplishes nothing. We all want the benefits of sacrificing. We love the benefits when other people sacrifice for us, but so many times we're not willing to do any ourselves. However, you will not serve God well if you're not willing to sacrifice some things. We got to be willing to, as this woman was, to give her all. Remember that Christ sacrificed not some, but all, so that we might have salvation through him. We ought to be willing to sacrifice some ointment in our life. And we ought to be willing to sacrifice some time, some honor, some money for the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said to Simon in verse 46, My head with oil thou didst not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Simon had not anointed Jesus' head with oil, which was customary when you brought in an honored guest. And yet Jesus had let it go because he had temperance. And it's okay because momentarily someone else would come in and do the job. Dear friend, how do you respond when you're treated less than civil? How do you respond when there's an offense? Are you more concerned about the way that you are treated than the gospel message is treated? Are you more focused on promoting yourself than promoting Christ. If any of those are true, we lack temperance. Jesus kept the main thing, the main thing. He didn't worry about how he was treated. In fact, the only time in the Bible that records him getting angry was on behalf of the glory of his Father, not on his own. He did not react in anger when he was done wrong, which he was many times. Now, I mentioned this, uh, mentioned this last week, but these fruits that we've been talking about, they ought to work together uh, in our life, there ought to be growth. This is not pick a fruit, any fruit. All right, We are using all of these fruits, why it's singular, the fruit, many elements of the fruit of the Spirit, and they ought to all be growing in our life. And they not only are growing, but they're interconnected. They're interdependent in our life. Let me demonstrate that just with temperance. It was the love of sinners that gave Jesus the temperance to go to the cross. It was the faith uh, that gave Jesus the temperance to forgive Peter for denying him. It was long-suffering they gave Jesus the temperance to show Thomas the nail scars rather than to uh, get all over him for doubting in the first place. It was gentleness that gave Jesus the temperance to reach out and touch a leper who hadn't probably been touched in years instead of recoiling the way that everybody else did. It was joy that was set before him that gave Jesus temperance uh, to endure the cross, Hebrews 12, 2. It was peace that gave Jesus the temperance to still the storm that quieted the disciples' spirit. It was meekness that gave Jesus the temperance to get on his knees and wash his disciples' feet when he should have been slapping them back and forth for arguing about who is the greatest in the middle of it. That's what they were doing. He got down and washed their feet. It was goodness that gave Jesus the temperance to go to a hated nation to visit a woman at the well that so desperately needed redemption. Then we see all of these fruits at work in his life. We need to see them all growing in our life as well. How are you doing on the list of the fruits of the Spirit? We have a perfect example in front of us. 
In all ways, we have a temperate Savior. Praise God for that. Now, we looked at Jesus' temperance. Let's look at Simon's lack of temperance. Look at verse 39. Now, when the Pharisee who had bidden him saw it, he spake within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what matter woman this is that toucheth him, for she's a sinner. <coughs> Simon's watching this shocking scene. He never seen anything like it. We went against all his instincts. He was deeply, deeply offended by what this woman has done. Webster's Dictionary defines temperance as the moderation in the indulgence of the appetites or passions. Simon is in no way in control of his passions at this point. A fallen woman caressing the feet of this, this rabbi, it was unbelievable to him. He would never let a woman like that touch him. The whole thing was disgusting, it was revolting, and he couldn't believe that Jesus was allowing it to happen. This lack of temperance in the Pharisee revealed a wicked heart in several different ways I want to show you. First of all, he was irreverent. Look at what he says, this man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is. The Pharisee was irreverent in the treatment of Jesus, denying here Christ's deity. Pharisees simply calling him this man, and you can hear the disgust dripping off of his voice as he does. Not only was he, here, he irreverent, he was also ignorant. What manner of man this is? The Pharisee, a matter, I'm sorry, of woman this is. The Pharisee was ignorant of the change in this woman's heart and life because of Jesus Christ. Yes, she had been a great sinner. That was Simon's problem, though. He looked at her and he thought he was so much better than she was. And she was so much worse than he was. Instead of temperance, he had condemnation. Simon said, she's a sinner. Jesus said, she was a sinner. Amen? I love this, friends. This is enough to get a Presbyterian excited here. Jesus will take you and change your tenses in your life. He'll take your, your wickedness and he'll forgive that changing you from having been a sinner to being a sinner saved by grace. What a blessing that is. Simon was ignorant of that. Uh, Simon's problem was that he saw her as she was, not as she is. She had been changed by the power of the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. Praise God for a Savior who sees you and I, not as we are, but as what we can be. What a blessing that is. I'm glad for that. Had a, uh, heard some of the testimony of, of uh, Brother Shook in, in Sunday school. He mentioned the, the time that, a uh, little departure time and a little rebellion time in his life. Many of us have went through that. And thank God that he went, he, he still went out and got us again, amen, and uses us. Doesn't see us for what we've done and the mistakes we've made. He looks, looks forward, and I love that. She had been a sinner, now she was a sinner saved by grace. He was also not only ignorant and irreverent, he was inconsistent. The Pharisee's not in any position to criticize because he hasn't provided any of the common courtesies that this woman gave Jesus. Jesus was in his invited guest. But instead of acknowledging his own faults, he criticizes others for their alleged faults. And have you ever noticed, this is typical for one with no self-control, no temperance, that it is often uh, we seek to control and condemn others in the same areas in which we are greatly at fault. Let me bring this right home. You're a parent. What makes you maddest about your kids? When you see you. That's what makes you almost upset, isn't it? Don't you love it, men, when you just really... Uh, righteously uh, rebuke, is it? Righteously rebuke one of your children 
for doing something or being something or saying something and then have your wife say something like, yeah, they're just like you. you know, that's just what you do. And uh, pointing those things out, uh, how true it is though. Uh, we, we hate what we see in others if it's our own weaknesses. And this is what his problem was. He was very, very condemning. But it was the same problem he had, wickedness in his heart. Let's look at the parable. Verse number 40, and Jesus answering said unto him, Simon, I have what somewhat to say unto thee. Now, I don't know if the disciple, I, I was picturing, I always try to picture myself in the room. And this is happening. I'm always over by the wall. Nobody notices me. I'm just watching the scene, uh, trying to put myself into it. And I have to wonder if the disciples uh, didn't do this a little bit to each other whenever Jesus said something like, I got something, something I want to say to you. Because if you hear Jesus say that and you're a Pharisee, it's probably time to get out of there uh, and run for your life. Because, uh, because uh, it, he's about to throw a spiritual grenade. The other thing I want you to see <coughs> is here Jesus answering. Simon had only thought it. He didn't say anything. And Jesus answered him. Don't think for a minute our critical spirits are not perceived by God. It might only be in your mind. You might only be thinking it about others. But critical spirits, God sees them. Our, uh, he not only knows about our mouth and our manners, he also knows our meditations. Our heart and mind is an open book to the omniscience of God. That fact alone ought to clean us up, amen? <laughs> Knowing what, that God knows all. So here Jesus tells him, I got something to tell you, Simon. Instead of running, he says, stay on. In the story, Jesus talks about two debtors. Both of them owe the lender money. Neither can pay it. In one case, the uh, debt to the lender is 500 denarii. That's about a year and a half's wages. And the other owed 50 denarii. That's about two months' wages. Now, both were in debt. Here, sin is pictured as debt. Both were sinners. Uh, the, pictures the woman and Simon perfectly because the woman would be and rightly was considered a great sinner. All right? Being a harlot is a vile sin. We understand that. But make no, uh, the, the Pharisee is, is seen by people as being religious, but in fact, he's a wicked sinner too. He simply did not realize how wicked he was. Many people are like him today. Because society looks at them and says, hey, that's a good person. Or because we rank in the terms of how our society looks at how we ought to act. And therefore, I'm a good person. And we don't know how wicked we are. Do you think the average person who rejects the gospel today is uh, a God-hater shaking their fist at heaven? Not at all. They just think they're good enough. They think they're a good person. And so, so that's what Simon thought here. He didn't realize how sinful he was. Now, both were in debt. Number two, both could not pay. In the story, one owed more than the other, a lot more. It didn't matter, the diff didn't make any difference. We'll just use the term 50,000 to 5,000. That's the ratio that I read in one of the commentaries it was. So one owed 50,000, one owed 5,000. And uh, so they owed different amounts, but it doesn't matter how big the debt was because neither could pay it. My son sometimes will. I don't even like taking him to Walmart because I always say, you're going to beg. You're going to beg. No, I won't beg. I won't beg. We get to Walmart. What happens? Immediately begging start. Need that. And that's cheap. Dad, that's cheap. That's so cheap. But you know, a dollar or a hundred dollars is about the same thing if you don't have one dollar on you, right? So it doesn't really matter what it is. If you don't got it, it doesn't matter what the amount is. 
It didn't matter if you owed a lot or a little. They couldn't pay it. Neither one could pay the debt. So uh, can I tell you today, friends, it doesn't matter how big of a sinner you are or how little of a sinner you are. You owe a debt that you cannot pay to God because of your sin. Our debt is too big. Psalm 49, 6, they can trust in their wealth. Uh, they that trust in their wealth and boast themselves in the multitude of their riches, none of them can by any means redeem their brother, nor give to God a ransom for him. All the efforts of our flesh to try to take care of our sin problem are vain. The Bible says in Titus 3, 5, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but it is through his mercy that he has saved us. So both were in debt. Both could not pay. And both were forgiven. In the story here, he frankly forgave them both. The debtor didn't deserve it because he owed the money. The forgiveness meant that the debtor would not be punished. Because in that day when you couldn't pay your debt, you often would go to debtor's jail or to the stocks. But forgiveness exempted them from this. This is a perfect picture of salvation. We are sinners without any means of redeeming ourselves. We can do nothing about our situation because we do not have what is necessary to pay the debt for what we owe God. So we will face great punishment if our sin is not forgiven. But those that come to the Lord Jesus Christ, He freely gives them and He freely forgives them as He did this woman here. It is grace both in this parable and it is grace in the gospel that will get you forgiven for your sins. Now, back to our story. He asks Simon the million-dollar question that a kindergartner could answer. Which one's to love him the most? After he gives this story, which will love him the most? Who will be filled with more joy and gratefulness? Simon smells a trap, so you can kind of see he's cautiously moving ahead here. Uh, he says, I suppose he to whom he forgave most? Jesus said, bingo. And by the way, this is why when Jesus says, I've got something to tell you, you should probably go if you're a Pharisee. Because now he's got him. He essentially says, Simon, you and this woman are the two debtors in the story. And Simon had been trapped and he knew it, but he looks at this and <coughs> in his eyes, you see, the prostitute would be the one that owes the 50000 His debt to God was enormous because in, in Simon's eyes, she was a, a terrible sinner. Her debt to God was enormous. She, she was an awful sinner, but he, as far as he was concerned, maybe his debt would be like $5, not much, because he's a good person. But that's not the point, is it? It doesn't matter how much you owe if you can't pay the debt. It doesn't matter if it's 50 cents. If you can't pay it, you can't pay it. And friend, our sin debt, we can't pay it. There's nothing we can do to pay it. We're all in debt to God. Some owe more, some owe less. But none of us can pay what we owe. And here's the gospel message that's clear throughout this story. God is willing to forgive all debtors equally. Those who owe a lot and those who owe a little. He's ready to forgive. Praise the Lord. Now let's look at the principle here. Simon's at the center stage now. He's beginning to sweat. Remember, there's a crowd watching. There's people watching this. See, Simon, I believe, this is just speculation. 100% Yoder version, okay? Uh, just speculation. I think... Somebody like Simon would probably have invited some buddies to come and, come and watch this. I've got some setup. I'm going to get Jesus tonight. And uh, he's going to be on my turf, and he's not going to wiggle out so easily this time. Uh, you might want to come and watch this. Maybe he had invited extra people, and now they were watching him sweat. Jesus makes painfully clear, Simon, fundamentally, there's no difference between you and this woman. That's a hard thing to say. It's a shocking thing to say. 
But then Jesus offers proof. He says, uh, he points to the woman's actions, what she did do. He points to Simon's actions, what he did not do. And essentially he says, you kept me at arm's length. She was not ashamed of me. You didn't bother to show me the slightest courtesy. She lavished her love on me. You know religion. You know the law. This woman doesn't know any of it. But I tell you what she does know. She knows herself. That's what it takes for us to come to Christ, see. It's, a, it's one thing to know religion and to know the rules and know the ins and outs of every, the, uh, everything in a, in a religion. It's another part to really know ourselves and know that without Christ, I cannot come to Him. Cannot be to go to heaven without Christ. She sees herself in her sin. You don't see yourself in your sin. Don't forget, this happened in front of people. The they in verse 49. Simon may have wanted to shame Jesus in front of them. Now he's shamed in front of them all. And like Brother Shook said in Sunday school, we don't like to be told what to do. <laughs> we don't like to be, we certainly don't like to be shown ourselves. Amen? Sin often comes back to haunt you and Christ used a prostitute to make him look bad. Now, I want to clarify just a couple of things here because sometimes we read these things and we get the wrong idea and want to have any misinterpretation here. Can I tell you, parables display doctrine. Parables do not determine doctrine, okay? So we'll just make a, uh, just a clarification. I remember as a teenager, uh, soon after I was saved, we had a man come to our church and uh, he was a former drug dealer. He, was, he had lived, I believe, in Chicago, <coughs> inner city, horrible background, all kinds of crime he had committed, and then God gloriously saved him. And I remember hearing his testimony, and, and uh, oh, we, I mean, there's lots of oohs and ahs and wows as the, you know, we're here in, in Hillbilly, Missouri, listening to this uh, testimony and things we'd never even heard of and God saved him from. And I remember thinking, that stuck with me for a couple of days and, and uh, thought, man, I don't have a testimony. My testimony is weak. I got saved when I was 10 years old. I hadn't knocked over any banks. I hadn't, I hadn't murdered anybody. I wanted to murder my brother, but I hadn't done it. I hadn't taken any drugs. My mother gave me castor oil once. That was the closest thing I ever got to. Closest thing I ever want to get to drugs, amen? I have no testimony. Well, now... That's the best testimony there is. Amen? I'm grateful for it now. God saved me from it, uh, it, from going into it, just like he saves other people out of it. Either way, praise the Lord. Now, the question, though, that I want to clarify, does this mean that the more wicked you are, the more you'll love him when you get saved? If it does, let's take it to the next step. Do we sin more now so we can love him more later? You know what? You... This, you might think that's a new concept. It's not. It's found all the way back in Romans. They said that about Paul. They came to Paul in uh, Romans chapter 3, and he, the Bible says he was slandered by others, and they said of his message, let us do evil that good may come. He said, no, no, that's not my point at all. I believe what it's saying, he to whom little is forgiven, is not necessarily referring to one who has sinned little. Rather, it is one who lacks the conviction to see themselves as a big sinner they are. They don't realize what they are. He loves little because he has little sense of what God did for him. Doesn't see himself as a bad person. Simon, for example, is one who loved little, I believe, because he had a little sense of his sin. He didn't think he was a bad person. It's therefore not the amount of sin that that's referring to, but the awareness of sin. If we ever stopped 
deluding ourselves about who and what we are. We, we're, we are, of course, are, all, of, all of us are our own self-defense attorneys. We're constantly defending ourselves. We're full of ourselves, Americans especially. Americans are 27th in education, but highest in self-esteem. That means we're dumb as a box of rocks, but we are really feeling good about it. So when it comes to forgiveness, when it comes to forgiveness, we say, hey, I understand Brother West being thankful. I mean, look at what God's forgiven him of. But God's lucky to have me. I'm, I'm, God should be glad to have me on his team. Brother uh, Pastor Nick talked about this last Sunday night. It's, it's like uh, if you weigh yourself at the doctor and you pull your stomach in. It's not a matter to the scales. All right, you might fool somebody standing next to you, but it made no difference on the scales. And you're not going to fool the scales of God's justice either because trying to look better, trying to appear better. The second issue is uh, that I want to look at that might misinterpret is love the reason or the result of forgiveness. If you do a casual reading, verse 47, it says, Her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. The understanding here is found in how we view the word for there. The original word is hati. It means therefore, essentially. Later on, Jesus said, Thy faith has saved thee. Not thy love has saved thee, but thy faith. Love is the result of forgiveness, not the reason of forgiveness. And if we are honest with ourselves, friends, and we know the depths of our own depravity, and we know our own wickedness, then we are able to look at Jesus Christ when he saves us and say, thank you and I love you. And we're able to demonstrate that great love and that love can constrain us to now live and serve him correctly if we realize who we are. Awareness, not amount. So who is this story about? Simon, the man who wouldn't humble himself. The woman who loved lavishly. Jesus, who forgave her and would have forgiven him. Well, it's really about all three, but Simon's problem here was not that he couldn't see the woman. It wasn't that he couldn't see Jesus. The problem that Simon had is he couldn't see himself. He wasn't honest about who he was. He, it was easy to look at somebody else and how wicked they are. That's easy. Anybody can criticize. Anybody can have a critical heart. That's why you don't see classes for it anywhere. Universities, you don't have to teach people to have a critical heart. That's natural, easy to have a critical heart. It's hard for us to see ourselves the way we are. You know what that takes? It takes the Word of God. The mirror, the mirror of the Word of God will show us who we are. And that's why it's so important for us to be in the Word of God. Simon said, I owe him nothing. So he gave nothing. The woman said, I owe him everything. And so she gave nothing everything. In truth, we're all like that woman. We all have a debt we cannot pay. We're all guilty of wickedness and sin in our life. But the truth also is that there's probably a little bit of Simon in us too. We look at ourselves and we excuse things that we wouldn't excuse in others. We secretly think that we're better than we really are. And then there may be some here this morning that's like Simon in that you don't even recognize or haven't recognized that you're in debt in the first place. You haven't seen your need for Christ, that you have a debt. But friend, you do. Without Christ, you have a debt that you cannot pay. 
I'm glad we have a Savior with temperance. He, Simon was offended by this woman. He did not have temperance. Jesus was offended by him, and he did. The truth is, we've all offended Christ, every one of us. There's been a thousand times in my life, and probably for yours too, that really if, 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 if what happened or what should have happened did happen, we'd have got zapped by lightning. We have a Savior that has temperance. He loves us, and he gives us time, and he gives us chances over and over, and he gives us forgiveness. When he could have zapped us, he stretched out his hands and died for us, that we might be forgiven of our sins. Thank God for the temperance of Jesus. Let me ask you today, friend, very clearly, have you paid your debt? Now, you can't pay it yourself, but he paid it on your behalf. Have you accepted his payment on your behalf? We all have a debt we can't pay. It's what we do with it, and he's willing to forgive it. Isn't that a blessing? Hallelujah. Let's have every head bowed, every eye closed. I want to I deal with several things today that we talked about in the altar call. Number one, if you're here today and you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, you've never paid that debt, please come forward this morning. Let somebody take a Bible and show you how you can know you're on your way to heaven. <coughs> Secondly, dear Christian, have you been like Simon? It's really easy to sit aside and point at people of lesser stature than us or of a lesser nature and be critical thinking ourselves better than we are. None of us deserve anything from the Lord, and yet he gives it graciously. As she begins to play, would you stand?